Hello, hello. It's good to have you here on a Thursday night. Last Thursday in September 2023. All the years I've been able to say that. Have no clue how grateful I am for it. And here's another one. Here's the announcement that September is almost over, 2023. So, what do we got going on tonight? What do we have here? Tonight we're going to be speaking with a very interesting guy. He's a neurosurgeon, so he's a very specialized man. His name is Dr. Evan Alexander. Many of you know who he is. Many of you don't. For those of you who don't, uh, maybe some of you were introduced to him last night as we put one of his his lectures from a couple of years ago up on the, the network programming for Wednesday nights. And he published a book called Proof of Heaven. We're going to be talking about that. He had a near-death experience in 2008 that was pretty life-altering. And and from there, it um, really switched things up for him. So I got a lot of questions. A lot of questions about things he's seen, he's learned, what kind of research he's done since then, what kind of proof he wants to bring the world. And... um, no shortage of questions. We'll see how much I can actually get into this this episode. And then once we say goodnight to him, I, I hope that we have at least a half hour left afterwards to take some calls. Because I know that with this audience, um, we have such a variety of people who, who listen from, you know, uh, different faith and spiritual backgrounds. Uh, and so this is going to, I think, evoke a lot of, a lot of uh, response. Just... If you have your own NDE stories, you can call in afterwards. Uh, you have any questions, any skepticism, anything like that. I'm sure there's going to be no uh, no shortage of opinions. And that's what makes it fun. For those of you who are listening in the after... Uh, on demand, after we're live, then you can also email me. And hopefully, if we have any time tomorrow, Friday night, when Matt is in here chilling out, we can uh, tie up some loose ends and, and add that into the mix. Some things that people were saying and their thoughts. So that's what we got going on. Now, as far as what we have here, I just wanted to say thank you to my sponsors, BlueMonsterPrep.com. There's only one person, one company out there that I'm going to for all of my prepping needs going into any uh, uncharted seasons. You know, the summer brings its own kind of uh, issues, but I'll tell you one thing. If your air conditioning breaks down in the summertime, you can always go outside and sleep in the backyard, uh, sleep in a baby pool or something like that. I don't know. But in the wintertime, oh, 
There's a lot more you got to prepare for in the winter time. So go get yourself a solar blanket, one of those tinfoil blankets. <laughs> That'll do the trick. So, bluemonsterprep.com. Go see what you have in your house and what you don't have in your house and act accordingly, bit by bit, little by little. And I would also say, now that we're knocking on October's door, get over to quitefrankly.tv, go to the, uh, the affiliates page, and go and check out all the wonderful places that you can start buying stocking stuffers for the holidays. It's all there, from silver to botanical chocolate, chocolate that is health food, and of course the prepping and woodworking and so much more. There's great, great stuff. There's, uh, I, I have the new edition of Flip City Magazine over there. Wonderful, they, uh, they just did a, a spot with James Corbett. So go and check them out. Give somebody a subscription for the holidays or for an anniversary or for a birthday or something. Really great, really great print media kind of stuff you don't see too much anymore so that's what i have for you tonight thank you for joining me on this thursday september 28th and away we go now to this weekend is the last time uh, last chance i have to do a saturday night show so depending on whether or not i'll be able to get any of the guys together i will go live from the uh the new home setup and we'll just hang out together there i'm fine with it now as far as last night goes there was that kitty and uh, the, the kitty pool got together again they got all the kiddie pool, uh, was it the candidates for the Republican nomination? They all got together, all the, the children in the kiddie pool, and splashed around for a little bit. And it, and it was literally a splashing game. I looked in on just some highlights because I wasn't going to waste my time. Like I said last night, it was more of a, an opportunity. It was more of an opportunity to do like a mystery science theater thing. It literally means nothing. But I didn't do that either. I looked on some highlights, and it's just a bunch of losers screaming over each other. And then, of course, it was capped off, at least for me, with, with this little ditty from Chris Christie. You know, because Trump skipped the uh, the debate, rightfully so. And boy, oh boy, what a mistake it was for Trump, because look at how he was owned, man. It was just so so bad listen to this here to answer for that but he's not and i want to look at that camera right now and tell you donald i know you're watching you can't help yourself i know you're watching okay and you're not here tonight not because of polls and not because of your indictments you're not here tonight because you're afraid of being on the stage and defending your record you're ducking these things and let me tell you what's going to happen you keep doing that no one up here is going to call you donald trump anymore we're going to call you donald duck all right If I were Chris Christie, I would have gotten off stage. I would have went to the catering booth, the table. I would have taken the biggest turkey leg and literally choked myself with it until I passed away. Okay? I'm not saying that's what I want to do to him. I'm saying if I were Chris Christie and I did that to myself on national television... I would have went to the catering table, taking the biggest turkey leg I can find, and choked myself with it until I can pass until I passed away. That would be it. it that was it, it's. I it's just so. Oh, that was so bad. The look, the look he gave afterwards, like, huh, you don't want to get called Donald Duck, do you? 
Oh my gosh. So, um, that was, uh, I'm so happy I didn't watch anything else. There you have that. Well, there's a little bit more that we can do in the meantime. Let's jump to MSN.com. Here's the first one up. This should be no surprise to anybody. YouTube is generating music videos for white supremacist groups. Yeah, okay. So let's move on to the next one. TheSun.com. A little bit more on uh, Elon Musk and how he's polluting space. Terrifying video reveals Elon Musk's huge army of satellites. As scientists warn of Starlink's hidden danger. There are more, or at most around 9,000 stars visible to Earth's view of the sky. Around 5,000 Starlink satellites as of August. 9,000 stars are visible to Earth's view of the sky. That, that means like in a, in a place where there's no light pollution, you can see the sky. There's only 9,000. What they're trying to say here is that sooner than later, for those of us who aren't able to really get a really good, clear, crystal clear view of the night sky, there's going to be as much, if not more, Starlink satellites up there than there are stars we would be able to see with the naked eye. And they put out this, whoever, somebody put this out. The orange dots you see on the screen right there. Those are all the satellites currently in orbit. According to new research, low-frequency radio waves are leaking into the sky and hurting scientists' ability to make astronomical observations. Sky gazers fear that soon satellites will outnumber the amount of stars there are to see, according to the comments made on Musk's social media platform, formerly Twitter. One onlooker looked at the video saying it was depressing before adding literally in only a few years they will outnumber the stars themselves. Gotta love that lack of oversight that allows megalomaniacs to ruin the planet for everyone. You understand that the government funds him? You understand that these these expeditions into space and everything else that's being launched up there, it is it is we are subsidizing it. These are the these are the people that go out there and they they um they protest against climate change. And they don't they don't realize that um, the oil companies are in one way or another mysteriously funding these groups. So that's one thing or another. Well, here's another thing for you just to consider before we go on to our break and into the into the rest of the evening. First, I want to say, don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to help the show grow and help us go viral, I think every show has a potential to be able to present the internet with a little bit of who we are and the fun we have and the, the times that we've had together over the years and times we'll continue to have, God willing. Make highlights of your own favorite moments of this show. I give you all permission. I am encouraging you to do that. You make little clips of whatever you think was funny, your favorite rants. Uh, the more poignant moments, whatever the hell it is, you go and you upload them on Twitter, you upload them onto Rumble, onto YouTube, or you just send the raw files to us, upload it into the Gilded, tag us, send it in through email, and and who knows, perhaps we will be able to re-upload it or at least give it a retweet and get it out there, and you just don't know, you throw enough spaghetti up against the wall and something's going to stick. And I think that out of every two hours we spend together, there's at least one thing that'll get passed around a couple of thousand times. We just are such a small operation. And, you know, some people have one, two, three shows at the most a week. 
and it's a lot easier to spend those off days chopping things up. We've got five, sometimes six shows a week, two hours at a clip. So I just want to put another little thing out there to tickle you all who have at least a little bit of skill to capture some video and put it on out there. Record those timestamps and do your worst, ladies and gentlemen. Um, with that, let's go to something that will that will kind of get us ready for the opening. Like a pre-primer. And this one is from Patrick Wood, who I've tried to get on the show before, and I, maybe I'll try again. He's giving out a warning on t- technocracy.news. Reality is escaping out the back door. He said there's a big word that you can add to your vocabulary, and that is, uh, si- uh, um, uh, sim- hold on, simulacrum, 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 like simulation, simulacrum. I practiced that one before here too. Anyway, simulacrum. It's a hard word to wrap your head around, but one that you are not too likely to forget. Indeed, you should not forget it. Well, I just forgot it from 25 minutes ago. I know what it means, but to say it, man. Collins defines it as an image, a likeness, a vague representation, a semblance, a mere pretense, a sham. Cambridge Dictionary says something that looks or represents something else. So just looking like something, representing something that is real. Purdue University says simulacrum is something that replaces reality with its representation. Um, Jean Baudrillard wrote about this in 1981 paper called The Precession of Simulacra, where he digs deeper, making a distinction between simulation and simulacrum. Whereas representation attempts to absorb simulation by interpreting it as false representation, simulation envelops the whole edifice of representation itself as a simulacrum. Such would be the successive phases of the image. Number one, it is the reflection of a profound reality. It masks and denatures a profound reality. It masks the absence of a profound reality. It has no relation to any reality whatsoever. It is its own pure simulacrum. So the switch for, for uh, the switch for reality is anti-reality. Quote: The simulacrum is never what hides the truth. It is truth that hides the fact that there is none. Is that is that is that confusing you? Well. This whole process does not happen in a vacuum because it involves human agency. Reality exists, but human perception distorts it. Just for review, reality slips into distortion, then into simulation, then finds its resting place in a state of simulacrum. Reality is subsumed by the simulacrum. You can say that that's what's going on right now, but here's an example of it in the making. It is estimated that 90% of all online content will be generated by AI by 2025. This means news, social media posts, chats, pictures, videos, podcasts, websites, etc. A deluge of fake social media accounts will be run by AI. In short, everything. So as described above, a simulacrum is anti-reality. It is not a paradigm shift of reality. It is not a new reality. It is not reality, period. Unfortunately, billions of people risk being captured by it. While everyone is looking at shiny new simulacra forming right before their eyes, reality is escaping out the back door. And now that is is a very 
That is a very uh, stark and striking way of describing what's going on to, uh, with us, not only in a internet sense where so much of the news and so much of the everything is going on today where we're communicating and we're hopefully communicating with other people, trying to break through, trying to cut through the white noise. But, you know, there is a, um, there's a lot to say about that that questioning of reality and the perception of reality has a lot to do with what we're talking about tonight with the life, actual real life and what happens after that life ends in the afterlife. You know, there's so many people talk about the, um, the hereafter and, um, and heaven and near death experiences. Those who've been to the other side and come back and you want to talk about human perception that is even at play there. So we are always trying to look for universality in something, some kind of a token, some, some kind of a something, something that a totem, like we were talking about with Inse- the movie Inception, something that gives us the idea that we are watching something real, something that is shared and universally accepted reality, instead of something that is really just up to whatever perception one person from the next has. So I cannot wait to talk about the afterlife and I can't wait to talk about science in a little bit with Dr. Evan Alexander coming up next so don't go anywhere and help me share those links I put them out everywhere and whether you're watching live or on demand it'd be great if you can help me share it with everybody you know welcome aboard we'll be right back one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! I love this is another good song from Trevor something. Gotta put this into the I gotta put this into the network content for Sunday night. That'll be good right there with Who Frame Roger Rabbit. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, so welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Here's the first thing I want to jump uh, jump on before we uh, welcome our guest for the evening. Where we have it. Oh, here we go. This is from the Daily Mail. It came out just a little while ago, a couple of days ago. That's why I said, I'm on it. I'm on it. This one's going to work very well for me. Headline is, I died and I saw the afterlife. My deceased relatives turned me away at the pearly gates for an unexpected reason. 
The first of its kind study provided insight into near-death experiences. Nearly 40% of cardiac arrest patients were still conscious up to an hour. Nearly 40%, that right there, nearly 40% of cardiac arrest patients were still conscious up to an hour. Up to an hour since their heart stopped beating? Researchers claim they have discovered a new, dim- new dimensions of reality after uh, studying people who came back from the dead. It's a first-of-its-kind study published last week. Found, uh, found out that a significant number of people remain lucid for up to an hour after their heart stops. The patients told researchers they saw deceased loved ones floated above their bodies and were even involved in high-speed police chases as they were being revived. Some of them saw bright lights and ethereal figures, while others had more harrowing experiences like demons surrounding them. Dr. Sam Parnia, senior study author and critical care physician at NYU Langone in New York City, said, quote, Although doctors have long thought that the brain suffers permanent damage about 10 minutes after the heart stops supplying it with oxygen, our work found that the brain can show signs of electrical recovery long into ongoing CPR. Okay, so then, so blood was being pumped by CPR. They were doing chest com- chest compressions and breaths. Because how else how else would this be? That you're conscious for an hour up to the heart stopping, and nobody's doing anything to try to keep you around. Delusions and dreams. Patient one, I heard my name over and over again. All around me, there were things like demons and monsters. It felt like they were trying to tear off my body parts, one patient recalled. Well, that's that's terrible. That's awful. I had a I had a physics teacher. His name was Dr. Payne, P-A-Y-N-E. And uh, he promised us at the end of our senior year, at the end of spring senior year, right before we were um, we were graduating, that he would tell us his near-death experience story. And I said, okay, this is going to be amazing. So finally, all the regents were over. The finals were over. It was really just the last couple of days of school, and he told us all about what happened to him. He had to go in for brain surgery. We have a neurosurgeon coming on tonight. He had to go in for brain surgery. Something very, very delicate was going on. And, And to be able to perform this surgery, they had to slowly reduce his body temperature and reduce and almost like slowly through dialysis filter out all of his blood and slowly reintroduce it to his body at lower and lower temperatures so they were chilling his blood so that it could preserve the brain and keep it in um, intact long enough for them to get in there and um, and, and hopefully perform what would be a life-saving surgery. Well, he went on to tell us all, you know, we're in, a, we're in a Catholic high school, and he went on to tell us all that, let me tell you about the night before first. He said he was sitting in his bathroom, and he was young, and he had he was the, this daunting surgery ahead of him where there was a good chance that he might not make it out, where they're going to have to access his skull and refrigerate his blood and all that stuff. And he said, let me tell you, you can go into uh, the, the, the later phases in life in good health, feeling good and confident about everything and uh, not thinking you don't need God. But when you're sitting in a situation like I was, there's very rarely anybody else you want to talk to except God. 
that was the first uh, the first iteration of there are no atheists in foxholes story that was told to us. And, you know, we're all sitting there wrapped, just paying attention because we all really respected Dr. Payne. And then he went into the fact that, or this, this story that he was outside of his body. He said during the surgery, he can almost feel the cold. You know, there's, there's, there's this cold blood being pumped through his body, so maybe there's that. But he said he was watching the surgery. First, he felt he found himself in a pale blue room. He was in the gown that he had put on, right, going into the operating room, all that stuff. And that he was actually, at a time, able to hover over and watch what was going on with him. And at least some of the things he said that he corroborated with the doctor. Um, I know there's a lot of instances like that. The, the ability to be outside, that's really the whole thing there. Consciousness outside of the body. Whatever you want to say about heaven, wherever you lean on things like reincarnation or any of that stuff, I'm kind of open to whatever. I'm kind of open to whatever when it comes to, to that type of stuff. But as far as consciousness being separate from the body, at least temporarily, I think I've, I've seen and heard enough to... To say, uh, man, I mean, how how can you discredit the observer, the ability to be able to observe yourself and see a doctor drop a tool on the floor, you know, a, a something on the floor, and have to have a get new one come in, a sterile one or whatever, to be able to see something that you would not know otherwise than to have a some pair of eyes with you open, and this happens over and over again. And for our our guest tonight. Our guest tonight is Dr. Evan Alexander. He's a neurosurgeon, researcher, lecturer, author of the New York Times bestseller, Proof of Heaven, which is an account of a near-death experience he had in 2008 following a very serious brain infection, which put him in a coma for seven days. And when Dr. Alexander's eyes opened a week later, uh, much to the shock of those who were caring for him, he brought back testimony of an incredible journey into a world that science had convinced him did not exist. And I am so excited to have him on here tonight. Uh, welcome to the show, Dr. Eben Alexander. Well, Frank, it's great to be here with you. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's it's, it's really an honor. I've been I've had a lot of fun preparing for this episode tonight, and I uh, and I hope that we don't. Um, obviously, you're probably going to be asked a lot of questions you've answered over and over again. But there's a lot of new people hearing your story for the first time, and I got plenty of questions. So um, let me just just jump right into it. In 2008, it's a year that changed the trajectory of your personal and professional life forever. So for those of us who are meeting you for the first time, could you bring us through just the, the basic circumstances that put you into that coma? Okay, important to point out, um, I'd spent the first 54 years of my life honing a very uh, kind of conventional scientific worldview. I had taught neurosurgery at Harvard Medical School 15 years, thought I had a major kind of understanding of the brain and mind relationship and the nature of consciousness. And that was based mainly in kind of materialism or physicalism. That's the conventional notion that only the physical world exists and therefore the brain must somehow muster consciousness out of physical matter. And the, what I was headed to was a demonstration that that was not really the way it works, that our consciousness is something that's fundamental in the universe. So what happened to me, I went into coma for seven days. Uh, and a typical feature by near-death experience was the fact that I was amnesic. 
that I had no memories of Eben Alexander's life, no knowledge of Earth, humanity, this universe. It really was an empty slate. And I figured out in the months and years after the coma why that was so important. But anyway, uh, the, the journey to me began in what I call the Earth for my view, primitive course, unresponsive, like being underground or dirty jello uh, or what have you. Luckily, that did not last forever. There came a slowly spinning white light that opened up like a portal up into a higher level and it came packaged with a perfect musical melody. And that's very important because music or vibration or frequency hmm. is something I uh, remember is uh, using to traverse these various, various spiritual realms. So in this gateway valley, it was uh, uh, much more real than this world. Uh, that's the amazing thing. People often think an NDE would be vague or murky, dreamlike. Well, this world, the material world, is vague and murky and dreamlike compared to that. That uh, realm, the spiritual realm, is sharp, crisp, clear. Uh, what you experience there, you can remember forever. Uh, it's so impressive. And uh, I was not prepared for that. As a materialist neuroscientist, I didn't know that my consciousness would be liberated to a much higher level of awareness, which is exactly what I witnessed. Now, in that beautiful gateway valley were many Earth-like features. I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. I never at any point had any kind of body awareness of this journey. There were millions of other butterflies looping and spiraling in vast formations. Uh, and it turns out beside me on the butterfly wing was a beautiful young woman. She turned out to be a spiritual guide or a guardian angel who was very important in the months after my coma to help me determine the reality of the experience. All that is much more fully explained in the book. Uh, proof of heaven uh, but her message to me i think was the central message i was to bring back to all and it was not delivered verbally she never had to say a word telepathically her knowing came into my knowing and this uh, deep truth you are loved and cherished forever you have nothing to fear you were richly cared for and i cannot tell you how reassuring and loving that message was at the time and remember seeing thousands of beings dancing in the meadow down below. I called them souls between lives when I was writing it all up weeks later. Uh, and it turns out all the joy and festivities below were being fueled because up above were these uh, swooping orbs of angelic choirs. that were emanating chants, anthems, hymns. It would thunder through my awareness. So uh, what happened then was uh, those angelic choirs provided yet another uh, portal to higher and higher levels. I remember seeing all of four-dimensional space-time collapsing down, all of deep time and a completely different ordering of causality uh, for that spiritual realm that allows you to have a life review where birth, death, and everything in between can be simultaneously presented. All of that collapsed down, and then I entered what I call the core. Core was the complete resolution of all dualities, oneness, coming to realize that the very source of conscious awareness was that infinitely loving God force that uh, so many billions of near-death experiencers have witnessed on their own and brought back to this world. Uh, and it turns out I would cycle through all these levels multiple times, uh, but there came a point where even though uh, I thought that conjuring up the musical notes of the melody would always help me to uh, rejoin this uh, kind of pathway going up into these realms. And whenever I spontaneously tumbled out of that earthworm eye view, there came a point where that no longer worked. Um, and at that point, I was aware of thousands of beings going off into the distance, heads bowed, murmuring energy coming from them. And that I called in my writings, uh, the power of prayer. That's what was kind of drawing me back. I still didn't know what it was back to. The final scene in my near-death experience, six faces that appeared, 
Five of them were very important because they were uh, family and friends there the last 24 hours of coma. And of importance, there were many other family and friends there earlier in the week who I had no memory of. So those particular faces appearing at that point showed me the vast majority of the coma journey had to happen between days one and four or one and five of the seven-day coma. And I explain all that timing in the book, Proof of Heaven. Okay. Uh, at any rate... Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, the last of those faces is what brought me back. That was a 10-year-old boy. I didn't recognize him because of my amnesia, but he was pleading with me, Daddy, going to be okay. It turned out it was my son. His name is Bond. And uh, they had protected him from the worst news during that week. Uh, but now uh, he'd overheard that I'd gone from a 10% chance of survival down to 2%, no chance of recovery. He knew that was bad news, and that's why he came and pulled open my eyelids and was pleading with me to be okay. Now, I was pretty much gone from this world by that point. One eye over there, one eye over there, neither pupil working, anybody in medicine knows that's a horrible picture. But somehow his pleading with me was enough to get me back to this world. Took me two months to recover. When I first woke up in that ICU room, I didn't even recognize my mother, my sisters, my sons. But those memories came back very, very rapidly over hours and days. Uh, full memories returned within two months. And then I've spent 15 years since then working with other scientists around the world, trying to understand how all this can be. But the reality is uh, the science of consciousness is leading us towards uh, a big realization about the uh, nature of uh, spirit and eternity of soul. That's basically what scientifically is being validated here. Uh, well, there's so much you said, so much I was going to ask you about that. I, I want to go back to a few things you said um, to get a little bit more on that. Now, you said that there was no real body uh, presence there. There was a little more of a communal consciousness you were seeping into, but you, you were talking about the sounds, and I want to talk about sounds later on, but what about other sensory, uh, you know, was there any other senses engaged? Was there a smell to heaven, a uh, feel, a, a taste even? Anything like well, that? There was a lot to it. And in fact, there was more to that than we normally experience in this world. There was more of the uh, kind of blending of, of uh, information coming from all these different directions. In fact, I even used the word synesthesia in, in Proof of Heaven, which is what psychologists term when you, for, for example, you can see uh, sounds or you can hear colors and things like that. When you have a cross uh, modality of sensory, function uh, but it's much more than that and it really shows us how it's interesting one of the key problems for neuroscience is, co is called the binding problem and that is how is it that consciousness appears to be so unified in us if it's if it's generated by a whole bunch of different neuronal networks po uh, neuron populations generating this uh, consolidation why is it so unified and the answer is because it's unified coming in we're actually sharing a very unified conscious mind. Uh, and that's what, what I was witnessing very fully in that form. So there's an expansion of kind of sensory awareness. There are colors beyond the rainbow, and you're also up out of time. So you can witness multiple events of temporally spread out through Earth time, but appearing simultaneously and interconnected. This is one of the reasons why we say these are ineffable indescribable because the sensory modalities and being completely elevated out of our normal temporal time flow that we used to on earth is very uh, kind of surprising and uh, it, it's what loads you up with so much information and makes it so difficult to kind of come back here and tell it like it is 
uh, you cannot describe how fantastic and robust an experience that kind of thing is. And yet near-death experiences have been talking about that for thousands of years across all cultures. So Yeah, well, uh, you know, on time, I was going to ask you what time is but i since we that's a little bit too broad of a question let me just say let me just ask over the course of the seven days that you are essentially gone from this world um how do you know what experiences you're having on which days on earth over there on the other side especially since there's you know did, did seven days over there feel like a mere afternoon oh no seven days over there feel like a mere afternoon over here i mean what no, was what was that no the, it, it, there's a complete time distortion because you are no longer limited by earth time hmm. so what i witnessed if you would ask me in those first uh, days after i woke up how long were you gone I would have said something like months or years. It seemed like a very long, detailed uh, journey. And yet we know that people can have profound life reviews that seem to be a complete review of their life, even during a four or five minute cardiac arrest. So you can no longer think that there are any limitations on what can happen in that spiritual realm, given a certain time interval here on Earth. That's probably the most important thing to get. Uh, and that, uh, you know, loved ones can be uh, six decades deceased from this world over there, and yet they are there to welcome us when we leave the physical plane here. So time flow over there is not a constraint uh, as much as it is here. Now, as far as your family goes, uh, you said you saw five faces. What about the what about the face and the, and spirit guides or or a um, a guardian angel? Uh, any interaction or confrontation with the face of God or the the voice of God? Anything that you well, there would... was there was an absolute uh, sense uh, in the core realm. Remember the highest I went in this uh, the sanctum sanctorum of the divine where. All dualisms are completely consolidated into oneness. Uh, and that's where what I sensed, and I described this in the book Proof of Heaven in that core realm, how there was this brilliant infinite ocean of love of that God force. And there was also this brilliant orb of light that I thought was there to serve as a translator or interpreter. Uh, and yet what I came to recognize, there was kind of an oscillation. Uh, that was between the, the purest of oneness and the very first levels of coming away from that oneness towards this world. And that oscillation is what allowed me to appreciate that my very uh, conscious awareness was directly sourced in that God force. So in other words, we're sharing the mind of the universe. Now, this is about as far from an ego mind as you could possibly, possibly get. Uh, the ego mind is is left way back in the rearview mirror on this kind of a journey. But that becoming one with that God force is something other near-death experiencers have also described, that that being part of that oneness. It's, it's not like you could be separate from it. Uh, so yes, that God force is something, and I will also add that more than 90% of near-death experiencers going back thousands of years across all cultures, and many of these might have been atheist or agnostic before their experience, but more than 90% of them come back believing, knowing in a loving, personal presence at the core of the universe. Now, I don't care if you want to try and call that God, Allah, Brahman, Vishnu, Jehovah, Yahweh, Great Spirit. You know, we can play games all day about trying to name it, but ultimately, what is an ingredient of people who have come close to death and then come back to this world is 
bathing in that ocean of oneness with that God force, you know. And so really this it doesn't get much clearer than this, that, uh, you know, that God force is absolutely real. It's pure love, compassion, kindness, mercy, acceptance, when necessary, forgiveness. Those are the qualities of that God force. And no religion owns it. Uh, you know, the closer any religion is to truly being all-inclusive and completely loving, caring, kindness, compassion, that religion is getting close to the spirituality of NDEs. But otherwise, religions uh, have lost their way. Uh, if they're not promoting that uh, extreme oneness and love and uh, compassion and care for others, caring for the least, the last, and the lost, then they've fallen away from the direct message from near-death experiencers going back thousands of years. Um, I have more on that I wanted to, to throw at you, but in the, but I also just want to put on out there again, because you just mentioned atheists and agnostics who have these these um, experiences. I've heard you speak about your father, because he was a he was a doctor, a scientist as well. You you spoke about his work many times on, I've, I've watched so many of your speeches, namely how he was a man of science, but his faith took precedent, and he never believed that our human endeavors could ever bring us anywhere near an understanding of God. But this kind of reverence for the supernatural was not the case for you. Prior to your prior to your coma and this experience, um, you were a lot more of a modern you know, science first kind of a guy, right? Yeah. Well, it's important to point out my father was very scientific. I mean, my God, he was uh, uh, the ultimate in physics, cosmology, neuroscience, neurosurgery, etc. But he was very comfortable hmm. with a love personal God and the power of prayer. And he used that in his work as a neurosurgeon. Now, like many people who grew up in the 60s and 70s, that's me, uh, you know, I grew up knowing that science is the pathway to truth. I made the mistake so many other people make. They think that our conventional materialist, uh, um, physicalist science that only believes in the physical realm and thinks that the brain creates consciousness, I thought that was the truth. And so this was showing me very clearly that that is not the case. In fact, there is a medical case report on my medical records, came out September 28th, in the Journal of Nervous and Mental Disease by three doctors not involved in my care, but actually shocked by my recovery. And that case report is very important. You can get to it on my website on evanalexander.com. But the two points they make, one is that my brain was in no shape to harbor any kind of dream or hallucination. That's what kind of shocked me initially was as I went through my medical records, I realized that brain was in no way capable of putting out a dream or hallucination, much less the most profound experience of my lifetime. So, uh, and the other main point they made in the case report is that my recovery is really inexplicable mm. uh, from, from our normal medical scientific analysis. There are no cases like this in the medical literature. Uh, and in fact, when the authors were challenged, how do you explain this miraculous recovery? They said it's because he had a near-death experience, because they all knew that uh, there were other cases like mine of near-death experiences where you have healing that is completely inexplicable. Miracles occur quite commonly in that near-death experience setting, which to some might be no surprise. You'd think, okay, if they're coming back from death, something mighty amazing has happened. But when you really get down to the medical details and you realize uh, that I should not have been able to recover, you know, a 2% chance of survival, fine, but they were projecting I'd spend the rest of my life in a nursing home. 
um, you know, unable to care for myself. Well, that's not what happened. So anyway, this is an extraordinary case, and other NDEs are like that uh, out there in the world to help us come into a deeper understanding of healing, uh, you know, in a grand sense. Well, you, you said that it took about two months for you to start regaining the, the totality of your memories prior to, or, or, or is that just the totality of your memories prior to or in leading up to the coma, or, or is that all of the memories of your time away as well? No, no, no. The memories of the time away were there from the get-go. The memories from the spiritual journey, absolutely rock solid from day one. Wow. Uh, in fact, I remember them as, as briskly as if they all happened yesterday. Uh, and of note, there was, there was a 36-hour period of a psychotic nightmare that I was in and out of after my coma, after they took out the breathing tube. And those memories disappeared within weeks. So I'm glad I wrote all that down so I could remember it. But the memories from the deep coma experience, uh, they were always there. But to answer your question, the memories that were coming back were the memories from the amnesia. That is from before my coma. Wow. When I first woke up from the coma, I had no memories of Evan Alexander's life. That's why I didn't recognize loved ones at the bedside. But memories of them came back so quickly over days that all of that was returning by two months what had happened is all my memories had come back and the surprising thing we discussed this in detail in our book living in a mindful universe co-written with karen newell my partner uh is that memories are not stored in the brain it's one of the last nails in the coffin of materialist neuroscience but the reality is as neurosurgeons have come to suspect over the last few decades memories are not stored in the physical brain we have access to them um just as we do access to consciousness, but neither consciousness nor memory is resident in the brain itself. I was that was definitely something I was going to ask you about because you know, especially when you're describing all this stuff going on um, with your brain not being able to being in a, you're essentially being brain dead, and there's no functionality enough to even generate a dream. Uh, how can any of these experiences be you know consciously? Yeah, I don't know, I don't know, downloaded, uploaded, anything like that without the consciousness being the main fact that, that the brain is actually a tool that is used by the consciousness because how would you be able to generate consciousness at all? It, it, so, but then again, well, you're right. And the, and the thing is ultimately in this kind of discussion, you come to what you call an ontological primitive. That is, what is the thing that exists? Now, for the scientist in me before my coma, the thing that exists was the physical world. Uh, and everything in it, just following the laws of physics, chemistry, biology, et cetera. Uh, but what we now have to envision is that that's not the, the be-all and end-all, that there's actually information uh, passed to us throughout space and time beyond the confines of the here and now of the material world. And this is where things like telepathy are very important to point out, that our minds can, can have a meld with other minds. Something like 35% of identical twins have strong telepathic experiences, and many other people have telepathic experiences. Remote viewing, this is another example of mind kind of expanded beyond the here and now of the self. Um, distance healing, things like that. And in fact, in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, we go into a 
large amount of detail about all these different lines of inquiry, all the evidence for non-local consciousness um, to help in, in discussing this uh, proposal that consciousness is primordial in the universe, that we're really sharing one mind. That's why telepathy is real. That's why remote viewing is real. Um, and, and then, of course, you get into the entire world of not only near-death experiences, but shared death experiences, which have identical qualities to near-death, but often happen in perfectly normal people. Those are people who are usually loved ones of a dying person. So their soul can be taking along, even to witnessing a full-blown life review, before that bystander soul comes back to this world. You have after-death communications that have happened in about 50-plus percent of our population, very strong indicators of an ongoing relationship with a loved one who has left the physical plane. And then you have that whole host of uh, things that happen in the hospice world, people who are actually dying. Uh, Dr. Christopher Kerr of Buffalo Hospice recently wrote a book called Death is But a Dream. And he's only studying people who are dying. But what he finds is 89% of those people have end-of-life dreams and visions that are very vivid. And of the ones who have them, 99% say it's more real than this world. These visions they have of loved ones who are returning to help escort them over. Uh, now, of course, before coma, I would have told you that's nonsense, it's wishful thinking. Now I will tell you that when that kind of thing happens, it happened to my own mother uh, in 2019 at age one or age 99 when she was passing over, she saw her own mother come. Uh, and her, her mother had passed back in 1987 or so, uh, but her mother was young and vibrant and alive. When I heard that, I knew my mother was absolutely within hours to days of leaving this physical world. It's not a hallucination or wishful thinking when they see a loved one. It is a true uh, example of how our souls are interconnected beyond the grave. You, um, wow, you know, I was going to ask you what, what the biggest found, you know, what the biggest foundational questions that you set out there to, to answer is. And I guess that is what is consciousness? You know, it's one thing to be to say, oh, it's being awake and aware, you know, st but stories like yours, as I said before, make it seem impossible that consciousness is manufactured by the physical brain itself, especially when your brain has been disabled. And I was going to ask you about the Guggenheims and after-death communication, and what you thought about all that, and I'm sure we can, we can go into that more, but let me just ask you first, now that you've woken up, you are, uh, you've, you've had your memories of your, your experience intact, it's the most real thing, which I think is really interesting as you're talking about that real, that world being real, uh, realer than this one, because, you know, when we wake up from a dream over here, it's, you know, when we, when it starts running away, we, we get fragments of our dream. It's amazing how the, your life before the coma is pretty much like how we experience fragments of dreams coming back over the course of the day after waking up. And it, it was the inverse with you, um, as if the, the, the real reality was away from this plane but w how soon after did you start begin beginning your research and and what did you decide was the most important thing to investigate first well initially i must say i was my own worst skeptic remember that when i woke up i had no memory of neuroscience neurosurgery etc and i told my doctors what had happened to me and they would just pat me on the back and say well you can forget about it because the dying brain pays all kinds of tricks your brain was soaking in pus. We have no idea how you're even coming back to us now. You were so sick, uh, but forget about it. So that was, I took that, you know, doctors tell us things and that's what I thought. My own doctor knowledge was coming back to me over the next two months. 
But I remember telling my older son, Evan the Fourth, who's majoring in neuroscience at the time in college, and he came home and surprised me uh, two days after I got out of the hospital. Great reunion, day before Thanksgiving, big hugs. He told me much later, it was like there was a light shining within me. I was far more present than I'd ever been before. But I remember telling him, I said it was way too real to be real. That's the way I put it into words, because to me, the memories were shockingly real, detailed. They, there was no way of letting go of that, especially because I had almost no other memories of anything else in my life. Those memories were still to be returning. Uh, and so it was uh, shocking. But then what happened, of course, is I was going into the hospital, follow-up appointments, talking to my doctors, going through medical records and neurologic exams, looking through MRI, CT scans, lab values, and it wasn't lining up. I was studying a brain of somebody who was destined to die, someone who's horribly ill from meningitis and absolutely incapable of having any kind of mental awareness at all without amount of damage to the brain. Uh, that's what I was looking at. And yet I knew what I had experienced was much more real, vibrant, and memorable and transformational than anything I'd ever experienced in my lifetime. So how to reconcile that? Well, I can give you an example. The recent scientific papers, and this is something we discuss in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, a bunch of papers from the last 12 years looking at psilocybin, LSD, DMT, other psychoactive substances. Um, and what you find is if with functional MRI, magnetoencephalography, look at the brain, people under the influence of those substances, and you find the brain is turning off. It's getting out of the way. No part of the brain shows any increase in activity. The default mode network, which is kind of a big network that gives us a sense of being present in the here now as an ego self, that uh, that whole default mode network dissolves under the influence of those substances. So in other words, similar case to me, get rid of my neocortex with meningitis. My uh, awareness expands tremendously. Uh, get rid of uh, someone's, you know, use psilocybin to, to take down their neocortex uh, by turning down the default mode network, et cetera, and allow the other processes that give consciousness to come in, uh, and you have these extraordinary experiences. We got to get over the myth that the brain is creating consciousness. It is not. We are conscious in spite of our brain. Uh, and this, the, for anybody who really needs more evidence of the reality of the afterlife, where I would steer you is BigelowInstitute.org. Uh, go to BigelowInstitute.org. You will find 28 papers written by uh, experts in the field of afterlife studies. They all have to have demonstrated at least five years' experience. And those 28 papers will show you the reality of the afterlife. And the scientific question about consciousness has only gotten to be much richer, bigger, and more uh, uh, profound. That's where we're headed, is trying to answer that more deeply. But it just turns out we live in a far more fascinating universe than the puny little mechanistic universe that I used to believe was all the be all and end all. Well, I mean, well, you're you're definitely five steps ahead of me every time I ask a question. But then again, you've been talking about this for so many years. I was going to ask you about psychedelic drugs, but I'm so shocked to hear that because you know when I, when I think about somebody uh, taking you know uh, DMT or they're going to psychedelics, I would think that I think most people would would think that if you you put uh, some kind of a brain monitor on there. You, it, your brain would be lighting up like a Christmas tree because exactly. you're being stimulated. And but yet that's the opposite it's the of opposite. what's happening. Your brain is going dark. And I was just blessed with kind of a super uh, psychedelic experience in the form of meningitis that completely eradicated my neocortical function to allow me to experience that much purer form of consciousness. 
in the form of a near-death experience. So, and every NDE is tailored to the individual who's having it. And it just so happens that, you know, a neurosurgeon with big interests in brain, mind, consciousness, nature, reality, ended up having a big, powerful NDE that showed him a whole lot about answering those questions. Uh, but it helps all the rest of us to answer those questions too. And we're moving beyond the simplistic falsehood that the brain creates consciousness. And consciousness is much bigger than that. And in fact, does not end when our brain and body die, but is liberated to a much higher, grander form. Well, you just said there that the NDE is like tailored to the person having it. And, you know, uh, so I wanted to ask you this one here about, well, Every night I speak to a large audience with mixed spiritual and religious beliefs, majority Christian, myself included, and and we often hear so much variety about these near-death accounts. And over time, it makes people like me say, well, uh, I believe in life after death, but, but perhaps what people are experiencing these NDEs is a combination of, like you were saying before with your doctor friends, imagination, hallucination, and some memory mixed in. So what I would ask you, doctor, is how would you go about showing that there is any universality to the afterlife experience? Because that's what most people want to know, that there is a universality here that cannot be denied. There is a universality. All you have to do is a study NDEs. I can give you a very good resource. It's a book written by a friend of mine, Robert Copps, C-O-P-P-E-S. Uh, he's uh, from the Netherlands, uh, and uh, he has written a beautiful book called The Essence of Religions. He takes the five major religions, compares them with near-death experiences, basically taking the near-death experience as the gold standard. I mean, after all, religions were created largely to explain what happens when we die. So why not use NDEs uh, to tell us what direction everything should head? And what you'll find is that NDEers, by and large, completely agree about unconditional love, about kindness, compassion, mercy, acceptance, forgiveness, taking care of the least, the last, and the lost. They come back much more empathic and intuitive uh, and caring about people and about animals and about, uh, you know, all the beings of this planet, having realized from that spiritual level that we are all part of that divine and sacred God force, that God mind at the core of the universe. And so NDEs can steer the way. But the essential lessons really have to do with very simply unconditional love, kindness, compassion, mercy, acceptance, when necessary, forgiveness, and of course, never forget gratitude. But these are the main ingredients that come out of the NDE community. Uh, anything else is falling short. And whenever a religious ideology uh, starts leading us towards uh, being against other people, fighting other people, uh, judging other people, uh, that religion has, has run out of steam. It's lost track of the message of the original prophets, which is a message of love, kindness, compassion, and mercy, and taking care of each other. This is the fundamental message from near-death experiences. We need to move away from the simplistic falsehood of materialist science. Uh, it was pretty much materialism, physicalism was given up by science about 80 years ago uh, with quantum physics. But there are many who are still very, very confused over that. Uh, and quantum physics, uh, you know, is now the, the law of the land, given the, the uh, Nobel Prize in physics in 2022 for entanglement. John Clauser, Alain Aspect, and Anton Zeilinger. 
Oh, that's a very important step because entanglement is basically a demonstration of information uh, connection across this universe that is there because of the mental layer of the universe, the part that mind actually uses. Uh, and that entanglement uh, is a phenomenon that shows us our minds are connected to. Uh, there are quantum physicists out there who will uh, you know, have trouble figuring all this out, but I promise you, as you learn more about consciousness, you'll realize that this model with the primacy of consciousness uh, and the unification of consciousness is really where all the evidence points. And that's where we're headed, uh, is a, a version of what I would call evolutionary panentheism, which is basically that God force being all throughout this universe, all of us as sentient beings uh, have a, you know, an eddy current of that primordial mind that we consider to be our mind, but that's the part that gets liberated uh, at the time of bodily death. I've heard you refer to the brain as a filter, as a, a kind of vehicle that our consciousness must occupy to experience material reality. And that's, I, I, I was even uh, alluding to that as well before when we were talking about what came first, you know, the consciousness or the brain. And however, it, it is very, um, it's a very restrictive vehicle that doesn't really allow for our consciousness to experience the full sensations that you felt on the other side. So why do you think we, um, we incarnate into this dimension where our senses are so dulled? I think we do it because this is where we learn and we teach. This is where we grow. We're sharing the dream of the one mind. In essence, that uh, one mind I've been talking about, that God mind, is learning and growing and transforming. Uh, it takes us back to the writings of uh, Pierre Teilhard de Chardin, the mid-20th uh, century. He wrote a book called The Phenomenon of Man. He was a French paleontologist, so he was, aware, he was a scientist working with billion-year timescales. He was also a Jesuit priest, so he was aware of spirituality. He came to realize in those discussions of Darwinian evolution of the mid-20th century that there was an evolution going on, but he recognized it to be much bigger. He saw that all of consciousness was evolving. And I would say that is what is happening. Uh, that's why we call it evolutionary panentheism, because free will is involved. We contribute our free will. And don't take free will for granted, because materialist scientists would laugh at you if you claim to have free will. They think it's all chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain, make nothing of it, consciousness is a complete illusion to them, uh, epiphenomenal, whatever you want to call it. Uh, and yet what this new science, quantum-informed science of consciousness, that takes all these pieces of evidence, as we do in our book, Living in a Mindful Universe, it really points to the primacy of consciousness. And, and most investigators get there uh, and have gotten there because of the evidence. But, but then they kind of struggle with this notion of duality. And they say, okay, mind is not something you can uh, completely reduce to brain alone, but they must work in parallel somehow. But ultimately, I think we're moving towards a recognition uh, that it's really that mental layer of the universe uh, that really has everything to do with what happens in our lives. And we have access to that. And that is something that allows us access far beyond just the here and now uh, that we experience uh, with our body and its uh, kind of ego presence. So all of this allows through meditation and centering prayer to expand our kind of uh, uh, efforts. And this is where I would recommend to people if they need a tool for meditation, uh, the one I use and have been for the last 10 years on a daily basis, go to sacredacoustics.com. You can learn a lot more about it. It's basically using binaural brainwave entrainment, which affects the lower brainstem. That's one of the reasons it's so powerful uh, in allowing us to be freed up from the here and now and sense of self 
in deep meditative exercises. So if you visit sacredacoustics.com, you can learn a lot more about that, a very instructive site. But this is really all about coming to acknowledge our uh, eternal soul uh, and not that we're just uh, in these bodies birthed to death. We're much more than that. And the last part of the discussion we haven't gotten into yet um, is uh, the reincarnation aspect. Because, you know, before my coma, I had never even thought reincarnation was possible. Uh, but after my coma, it was clear to me that I had to explain reincarnation because it had to be part of the package. And that's when I discovered, for example, all the work done at University of Virginia, Division of Perceptual Studies over 60 years. People can learn more at uvadops.org. But basically, they have uh, uh, something like 2,700 cases of past life memories in children they've investigated since the 1960s. And of those 2,700, 1,700 are solved. That means they actually found the person who the child describes. And, uh, you know, one or two of those cases might be fabricated or, or kind of who knows what's going on. But 1,700 cases, they're telling us reincarnation is absolutely real. Doesn't matter what you want to believe about it. Doesn't matter that you can't remember it. Because uh, as the doctors, Ian Stevenson and Jim Tucker, who did all this work, will tell you, you have to ask the children before age six or seven because the memories get covered over. So most of us after age seven don't have memories of past lives, but you can check with young children and you'll find them there. And then you find those 1700 cases in the UVA literature where they actually found the person who lived before and, and the child was accurate about many of the things, names, uh, locations, events, et cetera. In fact, in one third of uh, Stevenson's cases, they had a birthmark that corresponded to the lethal wound of the prior lifetime. Now, if that doesn't get your um, you know, attention, I don't know what will. But the bottom line is in this brain-mind discussion, uh, we've been far too simple uh, in, in past decades, but now it all comes together with quantum physics, philosophy of mind, neuroscience and the hard problem, non-local consciousness. Uh, all of this is stuff we put together uh, in Living in a Mindful Universe, and people can learn a lot more at evanalexander.com uh, for my recommended reading list from the FAQ page, and also from many of the interviews that are available there. Well, I mean, the first thing I would say about the reincarnation thing is that if we learn lessons of all of our key decisions that we've made during lives or our lives, and we have some sort of an end-of-life review, uh, that it's still so frustrating to re-enter the material realm as a baby with a blank slate and have to do all that over again. You, you, you would think that you'd come back with some notes written down or some kind of a leg up so it doesn't take another 30, 35 Frank, years. The reality is a lot of this science and this discussion is used to explain genius. For example, musical genius or mathematical or scientific genius. Uh, you know, where does that come from? That hmm. mathematician in India, Ramanujan. How did in the world did some little boy who grew up in a tiny little village somewhere in India come into such great mathematical wisdom. Much of his stuff is still far beyond our mathematics of today. And there are many scientists in this line of work that we're talking about who will tell you that reincarnation is the explanation for those incredible cases of genius, that they come from people who had lived before in some form or another. And there, there are stories out there like that. Uh, but the bottom line is we need to open our minds to much greater possibilities. 
given the reality of reincarnation uh, and all the powers that we can show we have for healing. To me, that's the biggest, most important message I have to share is that we can help heal ourselves through in, envisioning uh, kind of the health and perfection and wholeness uh, that we, we like for ourselves. And also remember that by channeling that love of the universe, serving as a conduit for that love and sharing that love with our fellow beings, uh, you know, do uh, random acts of kindness for strangers. Uh, every bit of that is part of this package. But what you find is that when you hand love out to the universe, the universe has a way of giving love back to you. So uh, it's all a beautiful kind of transformative gift. Uh, this is nothing, um, you know, the simplest parts of this are the most uh, obvious and elegant. And that is that we're really here to love each other and take care of each other and get rid of this false sense of separation from, you know, materialist science, which treats everything as a separate object, and realize that the quantum informed view of consciousness is one where we're all truly sharing the dream of the one mind. We're all in this together, and we really need to take care of each other. Uh, very well said. Very well said. I, I have a, I have a few more things I'd love to ask of you. I mean, the first thing, because I, I can see this passion is still very alive. You you bubble with it, and I, I I wonder has your personal research and revelations helped you, or I should say, how has it helped you treat patients going forward from that point in your life, especially those who are facing life threatening prognosis or or it's not looking good. I'd have to imagine having you as a doctor at that point, if you're uh, if you're if you're helping a patient who's is uh, is in a really dire situation must be a, a leg up that uh, most other people don't have. Well, that's, that's, that's very true. It certainly has helped me uh, to be far more empathic uh, and intuitive and connected with people. In fact, this uh, two weeks ago, I was down at my alma mater at Duke Medical School, uh, where I also finished residency there in neurosurgery, and we were having a big reunion of all the neurosurgical trainees from the last you know, half century or more, uh, and I gave a 10-minute talk on this very topic, all the way up to reincarnation, et cetera, but it was to help my colleagues, uh, to help them uh, to understand, first of all, that this uh, scientific question of consciousness is far more interesting than we might have thought before, but also especially important to recognize this kind of continuity of soul line, and that we're all in this together and here to take care of each other, but also the great and comforting knowledge that loved ones who have left the physical plane can be there um, for us and be uh, there to help usher us over. And the more doctors, and now a lot of nurses already get this, uh, because they're there with uh, patients and families when people die. Mm. Doctors are not as prone to do that, because for doctors, often they feel they failed the patient, so they're not necessarily going to be there when the patient is dying, even though that might just be a, a you know a death that has nothing. Uh, all of the, the best the doctor did could not prevent it. But uh, just like I wrote Proof of Heaven to help wake up the medical profession so that doctors would be more inviting of people to tell these stories, uh, and just like I gave that talk at Duke uh, two weeks ago, uh, it's really all about waking all of us up. And, and I knew that by waking up the medical profession, uh, that would be a big step forward because then they can start sharing millions and millions and millions more of these NDE stories. Because what you find is they're very, very common. In fact, if you ask around your neighborhood, you'll probably find uh, somebody who's had this kind of thing happen, an after-death communication, a deathbed vision, a near-death experience, shared death, what have you. They're extremely common. 
Uh, and ultimately, the scientific world will catch up with the rest of the world. The rest of the world is all the people having these experiences and wanting explanations and wanting understanding. And that is what this quantum-informed science of consciousness that I'm talking about is bringing forth to the public at large. Now, also, two other sites for uh, you people who want to follow the scientific line of inquiry into this discussion, go to scientificandmedical.net and galileocommission.org. Those are two groups I serve as a scientific advisory board member for both of them. But you will find there's a tremendous amount of global effort from the scientific community to come to a deeper understanding of all of this that we're talking about. It's obviously a gigantic mystery, and the uh, the nonsensical uh, BS response of materialist neuroscientists who pretend to know uh, that this is all impossible because it doesn't fit their theoretical model, well, it's time for them to move over. What they should do is start reading BigelowInstitute.org essays and realize we're far beyond this being an issue of whether or not this is scientifically valid. That in fact, science not only allows, but demands for this kind of spiritual level of the universe, this unified mind, this kind of top-down causality. Uh, and that's where the world is now. It's a, a, For me, it's very optimistic uh, what it opens up in terms of possibilities, but we really need to wake up and uh, move away from this uh, nonsense of believing we're separate beings in competition with each other and realize we're all in this together. We need to take care better care of each other and much better care of planet earth very very in the yeah. process of destroying through that materialist uh, greediness and selfishness and focus on individuality as opposed to uh, this uh, group survival and the higher good of the group it would be great if we were concentrating on things like that a little bit more and i think that uh, as the world gets more and more twisted there are more and more people in turn who are pushed into this direction of just knowing that there's got to be something more and i think that put them on this path uh eventually that they're having uh more mystical and really inspiring conversations do you think it's possible to recreate the melody or the resonant vibration of light that brought you up into that valley um the the, the music in particular because i we've had so many shows Dr. Alexander, about um, somatics and, um, and, and, and resonant frequency and, and what it does to everything. I mean, just to being able to lift spirits. I mean, we know that Gregorian chanting, bells, bowls, churches and cathedrals were built with acoustics in mind. Uh, some have even presented really compelling evidence that many chambers of the Egyptian pyramids were tuned to specific frequencies for one reason or another. So have you had in any of your pursuits been able to recreate that melody that you felt on the other side? Well, that's a beautiful question. And yes, originally we were trying to do that kind of thing. But what I came to recognize early on, and this was work I was doing with my partner, Karen Newell, her business partner, Kevin Cossey, the two of them co-founded uh, Sacred Acoustics. Uh, and we were trying to duplicate those sounds. But what I ended up discovering, and this is why I got into binaural beat brainwave entrainment in the first place, two years after my coma, was I knew that um, they, they held potential to really influence uh, conscious awareness and especially to liberate conscious awareness from the here and now and the illusion of self. 
And it's because every other sound you've ever heard, and this includes chants, anthems, hymns, that might have uh, influenced some uh, spiritual state, they were all sounds processed up in the acoustic cortex of the temporal lobes uh, in circuits that have basically uh, uh, evolved in the last two to three million years in primates and homo sapiens. Very, very different are sacred acoustics and other binaural beep signals because they use slightly different frequencies going to the two ears. And if you listen through headphones or through earbuds, so you're splitting the channel, you're doing a very good job of using those signals to oscillate the lower brainstem. Um, a neuronal population there in the superior olivary nucleus starts oscillating back and forth. And uh, many people are aware of using an, uh, like a pendulum before the eyes you know, to get hypnotic uh, induction. Uh, likewise, people use EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That's a very effective treatment for post-traumatic stress disorder. Uh, and this also is using rapid eye movements, which is driving a left-right oscillation at the midbrain level. So we're just talking about going even more primitive, even more down the evolutionary pathway to a circuit that arose more than 300 million years ago. That's before mammals walked the earth. Uh, in fact, it's a localization circuit still active. If I hear a snap behind my head, that circuit calculates arrival time of the sound waves to my two ears going a thousand feet per second. And using a tens of microsecond uh, calculator in the in that lower brainstem, uh, it, it causes that oscillation. Now what this does is it ends up modulating the upgoing signals from uh, the ignition part, the reticular activating system, and that modulation of, of 40 times per second. By taking control of that with these differential frequency brain waves, that is what al is allowing you to get into a state where you can put your little uh, linguistic brain and ego voice into timeout and learn to ride the tones of sacred acoustics. And you'll find that it'll get you into that hypnagogic space between awake and asleep very effectively. Uh, do pay attention to some of the guides that Karen gives on our website, sacredacoustics.com, for some other uh, uh, techniques and uh, suggestions about meditation. But the bottom line is it's a very powerful uh, technique to use. And uh, in fact, it's been very much validated in a busy Manhattan psychiatric practice for anxiety treatment. Uh, there's a paper by Dr. Anna Yusim, Y-U-S-I-M. Uh, we've worked with her before. She's an excellent uh, spiritually inclined psychiatrist in New York, Yale trained. Uh, and she wrote an article. It was in, I think, January of February. I'm sorry, <laughs> February of, of 2020. Um, and that article is on binaural beats. And basically she found in her uh, Manhattan practice over two weeks of listening to binaural beats, 26% reduction in anxiety symptoms. That's compared to only 7% reduction in the control group who only got talk psychotherapy uh, for um, anxiety. So very, very effective at anxiety and obviously can do a, a lot of other things too. So uh, highly recommended that people uh, start going within, start meditating, uh, exploring that mental space. You'll find it's far, far grander than just something stuck between your ears. Mm, yeah, we, we've we've done qu quite a bit on this show with uh, with the the Monroe Institute, reading into what they've done with binaural beats, with you know PTSD, but also uh, other out of body experiment uh, experiments, you know astral travel and things like that. So uh, we we know where uh, we know how how powerful they are. Are, especially if used right they can be very therapeutic very therapeutic very uh mind uh altering and opening um i i have to ask you 
a little bit more of a negative question and then one last question that only a neurosurgeon would be able to answer um, about negative NDEs or people who have been pronounced dead and just had the lights go out or they've had horrific things going on there. Uh, you, is there a hell? I mean, we've had psychopaths, murderers. Are you telling me that psychopaths and mur- unrepentant psychopaths are getting the same sunshine on their face in that valley that you did? Well, I think it's important to remember that uh, they have to go through a life review. Uh, and the life review is uh, where it's where you receive what you've handed out to others. So if people have been busy handing out a lot of pain and suffering to others, their life review is certainly going to seem like a hellish experience. Uh, the good news is that you can learn from all this. Uh, now, I'm not saying that you know the life review of somebody like Hitler is going to be something that allows his soul to kind of dance right through, learn everything, et cetera, because he has to go through the suffering of more than 53 million people, uh, you know, and and on the on the receiving end uh, before he is done with uh, kind of his uh, karmic debt for uh, this lifetime. So, but just remember that that that's part of the package. And life reviews are very interesting. Bruce Grayson, who has more than 45 years as a skeptical MD uh, studying these experiences, finds that uh, the majority of people who have a life review experience it as a reliving of the events, not just remembering. And not only that, they re- 74% of them relive it not only from their own perspective, but the perspective of everybody involved. So uh, it's pretty astonishing, but you end up feeling what you handed out to other people because of that life review. So over a period of time, the life review nudges our entire uh, civilization more towards love and kindness and compassion, because essentially the life review is the golden rule. Treat others as you would like to be treated, written into the very fabric of the universe. Uh, so very important to understand. And, and this life review, it's not some new age concept. This goes back at least 2,400 years to the writings of Plato. He wrote about Armenian soldier Ur killed in battle, uh, who uh, came back to life just before they lit up the funeral pyre. And he said, when you die, your life flashes before your eyes, and you find that the only important thing is how much love you were able to share with the world. And that could be a similar story on a battlefield today or uh, any other cause of death today. So it's really important for all of us to understand we need to treat each other uh, with love, compassion, kindness, uh, respect as the sacred beings that we are and move away from this insane uh, materialist uh, uh, kind of assumption of, of separation that uh, all of us are just meat robots, you know, birth to death, nothing more. That is not true. We are spiritual beings in a spiritual universe, and that can have tremendous power in bringing bringing all of us into wholeness and healing. Wonderfully said. Um, now, here's one last question for you, and I really appreciate the time. This was really uh, something to to behold, and I know that it's going to inspire a lot of conversation in the afterward. Um, I had a I had opened up tonight's show talking a little bit about a story that a old physics professor at my high school had told us around the time that we were graduating. His name was uh, Professor Payne, Dr. Payne. Uh, 
And he was talking about a time when younger, earlier on in life, where he was in a really bad situation with some kind of a uh, issue with his brain and he needed surgery. And the surgery was a very testy one. And what they had to do was they had to pretty much put him through dialysis uh, to, to bring his, his temperature down and to almost like chill his blood, he was talking about, in an, in an effort to preserve brain tissue long enough for this. Just to, to, have you ever done anything like that? Oh, I've, I, I know what you're talking about of uh, using cryopreservative uh, techniques to cool down the body, cool the brain. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something that uh, is sometimes done, for example, very challenging aneurysms like a basal or tip aneurysm. Sometimes you have to basically shut off all circulation to the brain. And the only way to safely do that is to really cool it down and put it under uh, into deep uh, medication-induced coma. Uh, and then you can just stop blood flow and the brain will survive for a, a certain period of time. And, well, th this was all part of, you know, that's one thing, because he was trying, he was telling a class full of young boys in a, in a, in a Catholic high school in White Plains, New York, about the night before going into the operating room and having to have done this. And then uh, during the time that he went out, he described an OBE he had that he was watching he was on the outside. He was watching the procedure being done, uh, oscillating between there and a, a, a almost like a chilly blue waiting room. I'm sure that maybe that had something to do with the chilly blood that was coursing through his veins. But either way, again, consciousness separated from the physical body. And I wanted to bring this up to you because I'm sure, you know, obviously it combines both uh, your, your profession and major influence and interest in your life. But I was wondering in any of the, the, uh, the years since 2008, you have been able to talk with patients in a similar sense of, you know, their, their out-of-body experiences during operations you performed. Well, not in any of the uh, patients that I operated on have I heard uh, that story, you know, the, the, an out-of-body experience. Uh, I heard many other things uh, that suggested to me, uh, you know, like I tell the, the story in Proof of Heaven about uh, the young woman who had the beautiful dream of, of her father, the vision of her father, uh, and it had to do with the, the fedora, uh, you know, yellow fedora, et cetera. But things that people see and, and get, you know, when their brain should be in no shape to acquire any information at all. And those stories are all through the near-death experience uh, literature. You find many, many cases of that, of people witnessing resuscitation, et cetera, from just above their body, um, you know, above their physical body, et cetera. So those kind of stories are very common. Uh, but I can't claim that any of the patients that I've operated on has reported that kind of thing to me. Okay. Well, I mean, uh, Dr. Alexander, this has been a wonderful hour almost. Uh, thank you for all the time. Uh, obviously, I'll be linking to your website and hope everybody goes and reads your books, watches your your uh, your, your many videos all over the Internet. Are, are there any things coming up, uh, any appearances, any uh, publications you want to bring any attention to and plug? Go right ahead. Well, I think the main thing to point out, for one thing, Proof of Heaven, the book, is now in its 10th anniversary edition. There are 36 new pages in that book beyond the original book. Uh, those pages tell a lot of what's happened in the last 10 years. So I'd say that's a very important edition uh, and a good reason to buy the book again if you bought it earlier. Uh, and again, I, I highly recommend the book that I wrote with Karen New, Living in a Mindful Universe. That is actually the proof of heaven. The book Proof of Heaven is a question mark. It's like a neurosurgeon has an extraordinary experience like millions of others, but how do you explain it? Living in a mindful universe goes a long way towards explaining it. 
and uh, so I would highly recommend people uh, check into those books. Certainly go to ebenalexander.com. Again, I recommend the recommended reading list, the FAQ page, uh, the list of interviews, um, and also uh, just all information, all the, all the books is there. Go to sacredacoustics.com to learn more about meditative techniques. Go to innersanctumcenter.com, I-N-N-E-R, sanctumcenter.com. That's a site that Karen and I put together. It's got multiple different uh, avenues of people to get engaged, learn more about this. Some are paid, some are free, what have you, but uh, many different options there to learn more about this. So innersanctumcenter.com, and that includes a monthly session that Karen and I hold with fans, uh, d a discussion. Uh, so if you want to sign up for that, uh, Come on down. Wonderful. <laughs> we, we have a lot of fun with that group. So many different ways you can stay in touch with us. And I hope they do. I have ebenalexander.com in the description of this episode. So as this goes out, uh, hopefully everybody can go and uh, aside from you just giving them those websites right now, hopefully they can they can get there from the main website and just start clicking around and stay in touch with you for all the years to come. Thank you for everything, uh, Doctor, and uh, I hope we get to speak again one day again. Well, I hope we do too, Frank. Thanks so much for having me on tonight, and thanks for getting this out to the world. Uh, and yes, I'd love to talk to you again sometime, and maybe we could even include my partner, Karen. That would she be. She has a tremendous amount to teach about spirituality and using sound for deep meditation, et cetera. She's been a beautiful uh, kind of angel to me. So uh, uh, let's get her on, and we'll have another discussion. I'd appreciate that greatly. We'll be in touch. Thank you. Have a wonderful night. All right, you too, Frank. Thanks a lot. There you bye -bye. go. Dr. Eben Alexander, ladies and gents, and we are going to go on a little bit of a tiny little bit of an extended break. Um, going to play a, a Set the Charge classic, and then we'll be back to take your super chats, some calls, and we'll put a nice bow on this one. What a great, this is a, this is the kind of Thursday night I like. I like the deep, the deep uh, dive Thursday nights, and that was one hell of a deep dive. I'm sure that there is going to be thoughts, varied thoughts, and I want to hear them all. So, uh, or as many as we can. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere.
It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Ladies and Welcome to intermission. We'll, we'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 Quite Quite frankly, how dare you? All right, welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. Happy to have you here. Happy to have you here. Thursday night, we're moving right along. We've got a great, still a great audience hanging with us. Tomorrow should be a, another good one. We'll chill. I think Matt's going to be here. And it's the end of the week, so we can talk about a whole mess of things. Leftovers, pick fun at one thing or another. Maybe I'll find some some funny highlights from the 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 impeachment hearing. Did you watch a moment of that? I didn't. I didn't spared myself, but we're gonna take some. Uh, we're gonna take some calls. We're going to go into the super chats. Let's start with the rumble rants. Nine two five wild G says, "Sounds to me that he's describing the brain as a filtering limiter of reality." Would he agree? I would say that he agrees. That's how he was describing it. Um, I had. And he had gotten to so many things before I can ask it, but then again, you know, this is what he's he's been doing for almost 20 years now, talking about this and getting to the bottom of what was happening. And um, especially when you talk about what came first, the brain or the consciousness. It is clear, especially when somebody has not enough brain activity to be able to generate a dream or a hallucination, it is clear that the consciousness came first and that the brain is a tool. And it is very limiting. Very limiting indeed. Very limiting indeed. Let's see. 
Thank you, Wild G. Let's go to somebody else. That's Jay Semo. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed this. It was a question. Said, please ask if the common prescription of opioids, morphine, at life's end impacts... Oh, this would have been a great question. If the prescription of morphine at the end of life impacts any of the experiences described, how do we weigh pain relief versus consensus or consciousness uh, of the loss of communication with family? I Okay, well... or. Or is that conciseness versus the conciseness versus conciseness and the loss of communication with family? That is actually a really good question, Jay Semo. I could probably, um, I would just make assumptions. I would just make assumptions about that. It doesn't seem, you know, the kind of, the, the kind of gargantuan unseen world the the truth about all of God's creation. Um, it's it's so big and it's all there is. So I don't see how a little bit of morphine at the end of life is going to uh, disconnect you from from rejoining everything on the other side. But that is a great question to ask. And if we ever have uh, Dr. Alexander uh, back on with his with his colleague in the um, you know in the next year or something, that, that's something that maybe we would bring him back sometime in 2024. Uh, please, Jay, if you see him pop up on the schedule ever again, send me in all of your questions, especially that question. That was a good one. Uh, let's see here. Jay again says spelled consciousness wrong. Okay. I thought so. I was like, conciseness? Well, anywho, there you go. Thank you so much for that. Hope you enjoyed. Over on Foxhole, we've got a bunch of bunch of uh, gold pills over here. River Pike says, thanks, Frank. Thank you. Thank you over and over again. Robert Sarns, Boys Blanc, River Pike again. Uh, Boys Blanc again. Secret Nature says, thank you, Frank. Thank you, Secret. The Secret Weapon, I'm sorry, Secret Weapon. Secret Nature was our CBD sponsor. Haven't heard from them in a while. Hope they're all right. Tempo 420. Uh, Aloe Rider. And Jay Jules. Jay Jules says, ask about pets in heaven. Please, Frank, although you probably won't get this in time. I did not. But that is another one, Jay, uh, Jules. If you can please email that to me whenever uh, Dr. Alexander is back on the schedule, that would be great. Between that and the morphine question, those are really two. those are two very interesting ones. Two interesting ones. Okay, Jay Britt says, great guest. Thanks, Frank. This is on, quite frankly, superchat.com. Larkstar with an extremely generous offering to the show. She's uh, she's another one of those uh, breathtaking supporters out there. Frank Bravo, another delightful guest. With uh, Then you played my favorite, Vapor. After such an emotionally uplifting show tonight, so powerful, had to gift you something special to get on the record. Uh, get better every night. Much love to all. Uh, it, it was emotionally uplifting. I mean, to consider that, to consider that possibility, you know, there's, because, you know, it, to, to, to be able to dip into those waters and to investigate this is to essentially give assurances about things that are usually the domain of faith. And whereas I have faith, 
having knowledge is something totally different. Um, and boy, to have knowledge of a world like that waiting for you on the other side is really, really incredible. Uh, really incredible. But of course, it always comes down to something else. I'm okay with the idea of death. I just want to be finished. I want to be finished with everything. I don't want to leave people behind too soon. I, I just, whatever. But there is another thing there, too. Many times in the past when we'll talk about uh, reincarnation, the idea of it over here, whether you believe in it or not, I had expressed the... My my thoughts about it the the most un, the thing that makes me most uncomfortable about the idea of reincarnation is the idea that I can close my eyes for the last time take my last breath and then I'll be born again somewhere in Calcutta with a whole new group of people that are unlike the ones I'm with right now I don't like that idea you say well if you if it is the case you wouldn't remember it and it would be just as natural as it is right now with you and Lauren and Aurora your mom your dad your brother all of your friends and uh, well, I'm saying right now in my seat right now I don't want to I don't want to be separate from these people I want to do it again with these people if there is anything to do again I I don't like that idea now if you tell me that I'm I'm going through multiple lives with that same Aurora spirit there, the same Lauren spirit, and everybody is just, you know, flitting, flitter, fluttering around each other like a, like a, you know, that would be something nice, like fireflies. They always, always stay, stay together. Um, that would be nice. I don't like that whole idea of separation and, you know, just popping up on the other side of the galaxy somewhere, and that was that was all you saw of those people, just one short lifetime. I don't like that. Stostube, thank you so much. Ben Farina. What's going on, Ben? Great show. Our grandparents are there. Beautiful to think about. Yes. That's what that that is what I that is all the, the family faces. That was it. The family faces. And I can see how those will take shape. Those are faces that we know. God's face. I would never, <coughs> I don't know, who's worthy, of, who's worthy of seeing that? And I never really ever knew what I thought about the actual face of God. Is it a human face? I don't know. I don't know. Honestly, even in my, um, even in my lowest points of faith, I always saw God or or conceptualize God as a, a as a creative power to the earth and of course that is a masculine power that is why uh, any tradition will you know most traditions refer to God as he the father because to create the universe to do to put in motion what we are sitting in right now that is a masculine energy but to uh, to ever try to conceive of what to, what the face of God is and to project that onto him is uh, that's that's far above my pay grade but as long as I get to see my grandparents again that would be a-okay fine by me uh, great and sharp says hi Frank love your show could you please wish my roommate Phoenix a happy birthday thank you you got it Graydon. Phoenix happy birthday and what a night to have a birthday 
graded in Phoenix, having a good time watching, quite frankly. And uh, now you go to sleep, have some good dreams about all the all the, the, the beauty to come after we create all the beauty we can over here. Dawn in Ohio says, another wonderful show. What an amazing guest. That's Dawn in Ohio on Rumble. The Rumble Rants. I'm really happy that everybody's having a good time. Okay, so here's what we have in the last 20 minutes. We've got the open line, general line, for whatever you want to say about tonight. Please keep it on topic because I don't want to talk about the Joe Biden and, and the Republican Party tonight. Um, 914-200-0269. And then there is also an NDE hotline. NDE hotline. Do you have a near-death experience? A, uh, a uh, what was that? The um, a post-death communication? A near-death, after-death communication? An ADC? That is what was published by the Guggenheims. That was, that was a question that was submitted to me by, uh, by Krista, who is a producer of the show. But he got to it before I could. After-death communications... Any general thoughts at all? Let's take a call. Uh, let's take a call with 314. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hi, Frank. Patrick. Patrick, go right ahead. Yes, sir. I can relate to your esteemed guest there today. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I called maybe a year ago about a near-death experience in your archives. I actually did die, but it doesn't matter. I came back and I had whatever uh, out of body experience and a few apparitional experiences, but it's been going on forever since then. And there's so many stories, but there's one good one I can relate to. And he was talking about, and uh, I left my ex probably 10 times in one year through separation. One of one of my exes staying at the coach. Uh, Patrick, I, I'm Patrick, I so, gotta say, I, I, I gotta say, I, I love that you called in, but I'm having a hard time following you. You're kind of mumbling, and uh, if you could just speak up a little bit and get right to the point. So I stayed at my buddy's. I was outside, kind of just staring at his. He bought his house, his parents' house there. I'm staring at this tree in the backyard, and then bam, it just hit me. I was everything. Everything was me. My ego was completely gone. It was so spiritual, I guess. It was timeless. I didn't know it was eternity or it lasted a moment, but it hit me. And then I went back in and I said, hey, Fred, I didn't want to tell him, but I, I said, you know, it just happened. He's all, you know what? That tree actually picked me when he was a 10-year-old child and brought him down to the, the earth when he fell from it. And I'm all, well, that makes sense perfect sense. Anyway, there's so much. Well, okay, so uh, so you're saying is that you had a you had some sort of an out of body experience. You got hit with something far bigger than you can ever imagine. As you would as you were awake near uh, you were awake and you were near a tree in your friend's house and it yes, was sir. it was the tree that had some, you said the tree had some sort of a uh, a, a power that had um, had had done something to your friend as well. Yes, but I don't know that. It was just in the middle of the day, and I was stone cold sober, and I was feeling sorry for myself, ego, and all that shit. And, that was and that's it. it. Okay. Amazing awakening. All there, and, and, and perhaps the tree was a conduit. You never know, especially those ancient ones. Thank you for the call, Patrick. I'm glad we got that one out. I didn't know where we were going for a second, but that but that's the first time I ever heard of somebody getting struck with that kind of uh, enlightening 
lightning as they were awake. 914. Let's go into the hotline. 3691236. Okay, so a uh, 561 you're on the air. Uh give us your give us your uh, your your NDE. Well, I did have an NDE, Frank. Um this is like bulb in your chat. Hello, like bulb. And uh uh I had an NDE in 1976. Mm-hmm. Except that I did not die. Um I was attending um a Bible seminary. And uh, a crisis in the family came up, and I was praying to God, and I was taken in spirit to heaven. Um, I went through the tunnel. Uh, I was in the presence of an angel, although I never saw the angel. And very much what Dr. Alexander said, I could relate very much to many of the things that he said. I was um, not... So, um, you know, ethereal as him. I had a spiritual body. Um, I was in the presence of God, but I never saw God because the angel told me if I looked at God, I wouldn't be able to come back. Now, the difference being, of course, I never died. Are you there? I am. I'm listening. Oh, oh okay. Um, you know, I, it's, it's a, you know, too much happened to me to be able to say, but the, the thing is true, same with me, with the time. Time is different here and there, but things there are much, much more real. For instance, I can remember, even though this happened in 1976, uh, when I was 18 years old and I'm 66 now, I can remember the blades of grass. I can remember the beauty of the place. I can remember the crystal floor that was before the Lord. Uh, I, I saw a river. I saw a map of all of human history that was just quite remarkable. I saw many, many things. And I've been trying all my life to talk to somebody, to find somebody who has had NDEs that were similar to mine. And, um, you know, it was just wonderful to hear your guest and to have some commonalities in his experience. My, well, 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 Lightbulb, one question I have for you before, Ben, thank you for, the, your, for their contribution tonight, I, and I'm happy you sure. got through. But uh, like our last guest, our, our last caller that just got in, uh, you were able to make this journey to this, uh, to this place, to the other side, just through what, a prayer session? You were awake and you put oh, yourself... No, no. No, I I did not believe that it was possible. I did not try to go there. I was taken there in the spirit. But when um, during during a during a dream during while a, I was praying. No, no, no. You know, I I went over it. I tried to talk myself out of the fact that it couldn't possibly have happened to me because according to my Christian faith, I was in the Christian church and I was in a Bible seminary. I was in Bible college. Um, I didn't believe these things happened. So um, I just I just didn't think that could happen. I, because even though the Bible talks about people traveling in the Spirit, or say Enoch who walked the earth no more, etc., these sorts of things, um, I didn't think that could happen to me. Mm-hmm. But the Lord took me. Now, I tried to repeat it and go back. I was devastated that I had to come back to Earth. 
That's I another thing. That's another thing we hear a lot about is that they don't. Uh, it, it's once it is over, it is. Um, even though you're you're surrounded by all the people, if you were given the choice on Earth, you would never leave them. But once you're there, it just seems like the choice is easy to stay, and it's uh, it can be a little devastating. That's what I hear. Lightbulb, thank you for the call. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're so welcome. Thanks for the show. Wonderful, just wonderful call. That reminds me of that old uh, that that Golden Girls uh, episode where uh, Sophia has a near-death experience, and then she wants to go back so bad she throws herself off the off the roof. You just see her fall through the uh, on the other side of the window. That made me laugh as a kid. I liked it. 914-200-0269. You can call in with whatever you like, or if you want to hit up the NDE hotline, the 914-369-1236 number has been designated for that tonight. Let's take a call from the general line. What's going on, sir? Uh, yeah, uh, I was calling because I had a near-death experience actually six months ago yesterday. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Um, but is, is there anything about that experience that you want to share in particular before we it move? Was, it was really a weird situation because you know time seemed to go so fast while it because i was in a coma for over a month well that's a significant amount of time you're there for three weeks longer than uh, dr alexander right but but you're saying <clears throat> that oh, as you you know for the last time you were conscious you went asleep into the coma and then what it, what it felt like no time had passed at all. Just next thing you remember, you're open. Yeah, actually, the first hospital I was in, I didn't even uh, realize I was in that hospital. So was the experience a po- so so uh, so just to, because we're running out of time? Was the experience a positive one or a a negative one for you? It was kind of a positive. Kind of. You know, well, you know, it's like I had weird dreams and that while I was in the coma. You know what it is, uh, and, and perhaps it was, you know, the situation you were in, was it a, was it trauma? How how bad was the brain damage? Because you know, we have to remember that Dr. A- Alexander, uh, his, his brain activity was brought down to practically nothing. He was brain dead. So if you right. had, if you had more brain activity perhaps you had inflammation or something or whatever was going on if you had no there was there was blood on the brain yes but were they you literally they literally okay. thought i was gonna die right but but as far as brain activity goes if you had enough activity there to have a dream that could be something that you were living inside of your head and you weren't actually leaving the body just at that point but um uh, still, th- th- that could that could be a uh, an interesting thing to throw into the mix there. Uh, I, I've actually right. I've actually said because what you're describing, just weird dreams, and some of it seems to be uh, positive. It kind of reminds me of the season six of The Sopranos, which I I always thought that that would happen. Oh man, God forbid! Please just keep me awake and healthy for as long as you can. But um, <laughs> yeah, but I I, uh, I can imagine being <laughs> being just stuck in a dream world. I'd rather be uh, flying around outside my body, but thank you for the call, sir. 
Yeah, Nikki knows all about it because she was checking up on me, and Zozo dude was well. What's your his what's your name? Chats praying for me, John from Ohio. Oh, John from Ohio. Okay, well then I never. Uh, thank you, uh, thank you for letting me know, and thank you, Zozo and Nikki for keeping up with John. All right, man. Well, I hope you're feeling well and stay in touch with the show. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, John from Ohio. See, it's a good thing to dis- to distinguish um, now that we learn about lack of brain activity, getting you closer to that that side. Can you imagine that that is really what it is with the um, with with mushrooms? Is that really it? I'm gonna, I'm gonna look more into it now. Doctor Alexander is obviously he has a uh, quite a academic. Um, record and very smart guy I wonder you know I I just if you're to tell me that taking any kind of a hallucinogen anything like that was going to just make your brain light up like a Christmas tree if you were going to monitor it in some kind of a way but he's saying that the that the 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 best hallucinogenic uh, experiences that really take you outside of your body are the ones that actually make your brain go dark and I would have to imagine get you closer closer physically closer to the other side that are bringing you closer to the brink of brink of death that's a scary thought all right let's take a uh let's take some more calls for whatever time we have left. Here's one eight six zero, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Oh hey, hi Frank. Hi. Thank you for taking call. Hi. Um I wanted to tell you about a near death experience that I had. Um I didn't almost die, but my grandmother did. So I don't know if you're interested in hearing about that. Go right ahead. We have it we have about uh five minutes left, so as long as you get oh. to the you get to the juicy parts quickest, that would be the best. <laughs> Okay, the juicy parts. Okay, so she lived about eight hours away from me, and she was living in a convalescent hospital in Southern California, and she wasn't particularly sick with anything. She just needed 24-hour care, so she'd been in there for a couple years, and like I said, I lived about eight hours away from her, and I, excuse me, went to sleep um, about 10.30 one night, knowing that I had to wake up the next morning at 6.30 for work, and I kept waking up every hour, so like 11.30, 12.30, 1.30. And I kept waking up and thinking, what is going on here? Because I was getting a little irritated because I had to work the next day, and I had to be there at 6.30. So I woke up again, and it was not 2.30, but it was 2.20. Um, and so I looked around, and I couldn't really focus clock all that well I could see what time it was but I realized like I can't really see around this room like I could before and then all of a sudden I just felt like oh there's somebody there in the room with me in front of me but I knew that that was impossible because I had a desk right there and it was my grandmother's desk and then I just felt like, and I could kind of see like this kind of white mass thing kind of moving towards me. And um, pretty soon I felt like it was like right next to me, you know, literally right next to me, standing right next to me. 
And then I don't know how to explain it, but I felt like something just like flew right through my body. And um, I could just, I felt like I was just like lifted into the air super fast and I was kind of being transported up into the sky and all I could see were stars everywhere. And I was like moving at warp speed at that point. And the higher I got, I could see like a, you know, like a bright light that you talk about or that they, you know, people that have died talk about. Mm. And um, I just felt like it was getting narrower and narrower. And um, then I got to a certain point and I kind of slowed down and I just had this overwhelming thought that like everything that matters is love. Everything is, we're all connected together. And the only thing that matters is love. And for a second, I felt like I knew every question or every answer about the universe, about everything. Wow. Anything and everything. Yeah. <laughs> too, too bad you couldn't bring back a couple of those answers because we, <laughs> we definitely need them. But, but where, where, does exactly. your, where does your grandmother come into this? Because I thought where you, when you started telling the story that you were getting into an after-death communication story where your grandmother right. was in your room. But, I, but now uh, it sounds like you were just... You were brought on an out-of-body experience, like one that we have talked about many times with Albert Albert Taylor. Um, I don't know. Maybe you have. I, I don't know. But I, all I know is that the instant I, I just thought, like, okay, I know everything about everything, and then I realized I couldn't remember, I woke up, and then I was in bed, and I knew immediately that my grandmother had died. Mm. And... Um, and sure enough, like the next morning, my dad called me and he's like, you know, your grandmother died. I said, yeah, I know she died at 2.30, which freaked him out. He was in the same city as she was. And um, the thing is, is, I was only 18 at the time. So this was back in the 70s. There wasn't really anything on TV or radio or I hadn't read a book or anything. And <laughs> so I just kind of, you know, after people kind of rolled their eyes at me, I just kept that experience to myself for a long time. But I really feel like she kind of took me up with her somehow up to a certain point where I was allowed to go. I was only allowed to go to a certain point. Yeah. And then... That's what um, that's what it sounds like to me. It's, it sounds like yeah. the uh, sounds like you went for uh, you went for a ride with Grandma as she was uh, as she was going back home. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. That's that. Well, listen. I, I thank you for the call. That is a uh, man. I, we've got some pretty uh, pretty unique ones tonight. I really really do appreciate you getting through, my friend. And I hope I hear from you again soon. Okay. Thanks. There you go. So oh shit. So sorry. Somebody who's doing uh, chat room bingo on Gilded just got Frank cut off somebody too soon. I think that hurt. I think her name was Ruth. Uh, that was great. That was great. I thought that was going into the uh, the ADC after death communications area because I had this already in case we went in there if we had the extra time. Sensing a presence. These are the types of ADCs that the Guggenheims put together. Hearing a voice, feeling a touch, smelling a fragrance. So olfactory ADCs. You think I have a little bit more of those with this shenaz of mine, but no. None so far. Partial appearances, full appearances, a glimpse beyond. You may see an image of a deceased loved one in a picture that is either two-dimensional and flat or three-dimensional like a hologram. 
It's like seeing a 35 millimeter slide or a movie suspended in the air. These are usually in radiant colors and may be externally uh, and may be seen externally with your eyes open or internally in your mind while your eyes are closed. Then there's encounters at alpha, more than a dream, sleep state ADCs, out of body ADCs happen while you are asleep or in a deep meditative state. They are very dramatic experiences which you leave your physical body and visit your loved one in a place nearby at another location on earth or within the physical universe. It's called homeward bound or in the spiritual dimension called heaven. I have to imagine that that's what Ruth had. She had a out of body ADC where her grandmother came and grabbed her and said, hey, I'm going home. You want to go for a ride? Sounds like it. Anyway, so much more. There's so much more we could have done if we had just a couple more hours, right? Um, But uh, tomorrow is another night. It's Friday. So I would invite many of you to call in tomorrow night with some NDE stories, with anything else that we have left over from this week. Uh, Stranger stories. There's a few of those that are still in. And, and let's just do a little bit of mop-up, and we'll have some fun, and it'll be variety, and Matt will be here. We'll crack some jokes. How does that sound for a Friday night? Sounds pretty good to me. Sounds pretty good, pretty easy to write. So uh, that's what I'll be doing. In the meantime, I want to tell you all about what's going on for Throwback Thursday tonight on QuiteFrankly.tv. If you're already there, you don't have to go anywhere. But everybody else, go to QuiteFrankly.tv. We have a Vintage Frankly episode from 2020. Many fascinating videos in between and a 1977 sci-fi cult classic. That's what's going on the air on, quite frankly, the network on quitefrankly.tv. So go do it. And uh, and thank you all so much for everything. I want to uh, go to the, the Super Chats one more time. Thank you so much to Delona, who dropped fleets. Fleets. Thank you, Delona, for two fleets. On, on uh, Foxhole, thank you, Witchy Poo, so many cookies, and then more from Delona and Witchy Poo and 123SKG. I'm dropping the scratching, scratching your arse right now. Thank you to everybody on the Rumble. Thank you for all those Rumble rants. You know, I, I encourage you guys and gals, especially on, on YouTube, I left YouTube on tonight just because this was not going to be too um, controversial in a YouTube sense. And I just encourage you to go and check out Rumble. If, if for any other reason, then you have the Rumble rants there that are, I think, just as good, if not, I think better, way better, because the percentages are better uh, uh, than we used to have with the, um, the Super Chats. So Rumble has the Super Chats we used to have on YouTube, and I'd have to imagine that those will be around a little bit longer than we had with the Google company. But uh, thank you guys for everything, and thank you... For everybody who's watching, no matter where you're watching. Um, that's all I have. And over on, we have Todd Fife. says, happy 100,000, Frank. And he's saying that from Rockfin. Imagine that. I actually have one other person from Rockfin from last night. I forgot to say this last night because it came in uh, way too late and I didn't see it. I didn't see it late. Guy with a GoPro fishing show tipped $5 last night on Rockfin and said, listening on and off since 2018, the good old days from one drummer to another, you're one hell of a percussionist, and no one brings us Clown World Incorporated events of the day like you, brother. Hashtag grow food. Hashtag buy bullets. 
Thank you, guy with a GoPro fishing show. Sounds like something that Abe would like. He's a fisher. He's a fisherman. A competitive fisherman out there in the, the Midwest. That's all for me. Thank you again to Dr. Eben Alexander. I will see you shortly. I'll see you on QuiteFrankly.tv tonight, hanging out and watching all the throwback stuff. Good night. Goodbye. No. No. No, no. No. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, is filmed before a live studio audience, and now our super chatter, starting with Todd Fife, guy with a GoPro fishing show from last night, Jay Britz, Larkstar444, Stostube, Ben Farina, Graydon Sharp, Jay Semo, and at the top of the rumble uh, is 925 Wild G, and uh, who else do we have over here? That was Jay Semo again, and there's one more person. Remember that. Dawn in Ohio. That's right. All right, guys and gals, I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you so much. Storm in the castle. Think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye-bye. Hey.